Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Okay, good morning everyone. Uh, Great to be with you this morning. My name is Matt. I am one of uh, the leaders here. Uh, We are continuing in our series through the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 1 verse, sorry, Genesis 2 verse 1. And we will pick up there in a moment. Uh, If you were with us last week, you will remember that we talked about work and the fact uh, that humans were made by God to represent him to the world and to continue his creative work within it, Uh, to take what is chaotic and unformed and uncultivated and take it somewhere, Uh, to find the place where uh, your great passion meets the world's incredible need and press into that as your calling and vocation. And there's a ton that we could say about work, uh, but the bottom line is that you were made to work. And if we were to stop there, we would actually end up with a rather incomplete picture. Because as we'll examine this morning, not only were you made to work, but you were also made to rest as well. And that's where we'll pick up. This is a Genesis 2, verse 1. This is after six days of work. We read this. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. After six days of activity and creating and ordering and shaping and speaking, God rested. Think about that. A being with unbounded, unlimited, infinite existence rested. And in doing so, God demonstrated the rhythm that he was building into creation. Everything that God has designed is designed to operate in a specific way. And humanity's rhythms of work and rest are no different. As a human being, you were made to work, to express God's creative energy through your vocation and calling. And as a human being, you were made to rest. The word rest Uh, in Hebrew, is the word Shabbat, which is where we get the word Sabbath. And it meant to stop, to cease, 
to be done or to celebrate. And God built into the fabric of creation a rhythm of work and rest. As human beings made in God's image, made to carry on his creative work in the world, we are designed to work for six days and rest on the seventh. To stop. To cease to be done, and to celebrate. In fact, after God frees Israel from slavery in Egypt and makes them his covenant people, he reaffirms the importance of the Sabbath by actually embedding it into the law which they were to live by as part of the covenant he was forming. And in fact, the command to Sabbath is not only one of the Ten Commandments, it is the longest of the Ten. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. More on that in a second. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Why not? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God points back to the creation account. And if you're wondering how these verses fit into some of the interpretive questions that we've been asking about Genesis, that's actually a bigger question uh, that we'd have to wrestle with on another day. But regardless of what you think God was doing during those seven days, the reality remains that he worked for six days and rested for one. And in essence, God is reminding us, it didn't have to be that way. God chose to do it that way. And in doing so, he set an example to you who are made in his image. And so God builds this rhythm of work and rest into creation, and he calls his covenant people to remember and experience what God has created. For six days you shall labor, but the seventh day is to be a holy day of rest. When the Sabbath comes, the commandment says, you are not to work, but neither is anyone else. The Sabbath isn't just for the rich, or the privileged, or the less busy, or those who aren't in school. Uh, the idea is, is not uh, that the rich would rest while the rest carry on. The idea is that everyone would rest. Men, women, children, natives, foreigners, slaves, masters, rich, Poor, employees, employers, type A and type B. Everyone, even the animals, are to rest on this day. 
What were they to do on the Sabbath day? Uh, What's the purpose? Well, first off, we're told that the Sabbath day is holy, uh, which means set apart for or dedicated to. So the natural question is then, for what? What is it set apart for? What is it dedicated to? And the simple answer is rest and worship. There is a day set aside, one day in every week, for you to rest and worship. And these are the guiding principles that should shape our Sabbath time. So uh, my wife and I, we do our best to set aside a Sabbath day every week or a day of rest as a family, uh, which for us is Saturdays. And these are the questions that I use to guide our time. We can do anything under the sun so long as it qualifies as rest and worship. If it doesn't check those boxes, I have six other days in the week where I can do all of that other stuff. For six days... You labor, you engage in your vocation, you bring your gifts, talents, passions, and abilities to uh, the job at hand. Do, you do whatever needs to be done in six days. But on the seventh day, you rest. And this should inform how we approach the Sabbath and what it's all about. First off, let's talk about what the Sabbath is not Uh, The Sabbath day is not a day off. It's not a vacation. It's not a day to just be lazy and binge watch Netflix. It's not a time to push off your work on others. It's not a time for buying and selling. And it's not a time to catch up on chores and projects. Those are the things you do on a typical day off. A day off in America is just a day to do all the work that you don't get paid for. That's how we think about a day off. This, this is different. And a day off in America, you fix the sink, you mow the lawn, you clean your apartment, you pay the bills, you catch up on assignments and studying, you do the laundry. That, that's some of you do. Uh, but that's not what the Sabbath day is for. It's different than a day off. It's different even than vacation. It's a day of rest and worship. The Sabbath day is a day set aside to delight in God and his creation. To rest in him, to trust in him, to stop working long enough to recenter and remember who you are. You are not a slave. You are not a machine. You are not the result of your efforts. You are not your GPA. You are not your job. You are not your position at the company. You are not your vocation and calling as important as that is. No, you are a human being, an image bearer of God, and you were made to rest. It's a day set aside 
to be still and know that God is God. Think about that. There is an experience of God that only comes through motion. And we're familiar with this. It comes through the motion of actually following after Jesus and going where he calls you. But there is also an experience of God that comes only from being still. It's not just intellectual knowledge that you can cram in your head as you go through your frenetic daily routine. This is something different. It's an experience of God that can only come from being still. On the Sabbath day, we slow down. We take a deep breath, we remember, we celebrate, we enjoy what God has given us, we meet with God. The Sabbath day is a day to empty yourself and a day to be filled. During the Sabbath, we reorient ourselves around God And at the same time, we shift or change our orientation toward time itself. For six days, you rush, you work, you accomplish, but on the seventh day, you rest. There is a sense in which the Sabbath is a temple in time. And that will only make sense if you really think about what a temple is or what it would have been in the ancient world. A temple is a physical space marked with boundaries that differentiate that space from all of the other spaces outside of it. And in doing so, uh, it actually changes the way we think about that space. There's something unique about it. And, And so when we go to that space... We anticipate meeting with God in a way that's unique, that's different, that's set apart. We have a different set of expectations about what happens inside that physical space versus all the other physical spaces outside of it. And I would argue that the Sabbath is no different. The Sabbath is a temple in time. It's a temporal space that you carve out and you mark the edges with clear boundaries that differentiate what happens during that time or within it from what happens everywhere else. And it changes your expectations about what's going to happen as you enter that time. And the way that you're going to meet with God should be different during that time than it is at any time out side of it. We, we prepare our hearts to enter it and plan for it in advance. The Sabbath is a day on the calendar, a temple in time that has been carved out, and it's a heart posture. Before you entered a physical temple in the ancient world, you would prepare. Not only would you prepare practically, you might go out and buy a sacrifice or whatever you needed to be physically prepared to enter, but you would also prepare your heart as well. 
I'm going to enter this space that is unique. I'm going to meet with God here in a way that's different. You had certain expectations and anticipation as you entered that space to meet with God. And that is what the Sabbath is all about. You physically prepare for it beforehand. You run errands, you buy food, you make sure that things are in place in advance. In that sense, it's not that different than Friendsgiving or Thanksgiving, which you're preparing for this week. Right? This Thursday, most people are going to gather, but you don't just show up to a Thanksgiving dinner. Days in advance, you think about it, you plan it, you anticipate it, you buy, you prepare. The Sabbath is no different. So, uh, at the Decent House, uh, what that means for us personally as a family uh, is that from sundown on Friday night uh, to sundown on Saturday night, we carve out a unique time uh, that's different and differentiated and separate from all the other time outside of it. We place boundaries around that time, and we prepare for it in advance. We get the house clean-ish, uh, as, as clean as we can with a three-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, and then we um, get food ready in advance and we talk it up with the kids. Hey, Moses, Eli, guess what? Tomorrow is the Sabbath day. That tomorrow we get to just spend the day as a family. We get to rest. Dad's not going to do any work. And, and we just get to, to have this day of rest together as a family. What do you guys want to do? We want to go to the pumpkin patch. Like, okay awesome. That's great. Like, we want to eat donuts. Fine by me. Like, it, what, what else do you guys want to do? We want to watch a movie. Okay, yeah, I think, that, I think that fits. Let's plan out our day together. Let's anticipate this uh, time that we have to spend. And so uh, more often than not, and we, we don't do this every week, but we try to, more often than not, Friday night comes, uh, work is done, the computer is shut, my phone goes on airplane mode, which drives some of you crazy, uh, but it's, it's turned off, it's in a drawer, out of sight, out of mind, and we rest. We receive the Sabbath day as a gift. Hey, Dad, why do we do this? Well, Moses, God is really good, and he's given us a day of rest. He's given us this day that we can just be with him and be with one another. We begin our time of worship and rest. Are the Sabbath days always awesome at the decent house? <laughs> no, they are not. I can't tell you how many times my hopes and expectations for the Sabbath day have been dashed against the rocks. Because I have certain expectations now about how six days of the week will go, and I have a different set of expectations about the Sabbath day. Um, and, and yet, so often I enter that day knowing what it can be, and then I'm confronted with the reality of two young children, soon to be three, who are all very dependent on us. Uh, and, and we have to be involved in every moment of their lives. And so for a while, when we first started practicing this as a family, I was actually grumpier on the Sabbath day than any other day of the week. 
Because I knew for these six days, I, I, work, I do what needs to get done, both in my calling and vocation and around the house and with family stuff and helping whoever needs help, all of that stuff. I, I know what I need to do on six days, but, but the seventh was meant to be different. And, and so there are times when, to be totally honest, the Sabbath day is very frustrating and, and difficult to enter into, difficult to take hold of. But... Just as often, they are completely glorious and and almost unexpectedly filled with God's peace and God's presence and God's rest. Even on the weeks I think, well, surely not this week. Oh, there it is. And, And God's right there in the midst of it, giving me rest I didn't even fully know that I needed. And so ultimately, for us, even in this stage of life, this is worth fighting for. But I learned that lesson the hard way. Before I was a pastor, uh, I was a lawyer. And in order to become a lawyer, you have to go to law school. Uh, And law school uh, is the most all-consuming, sort of high-pressured environment that I have ever experienced. It takes everything that you have in order to be successful there. It it swallows up uh, your free time, and it swallows up your friendships. And and the divorce rate for first-year law school students is like off the charts. It's just this this crazy, sort of all-consuming thing. And so um, by design or by default, uh, most people end up just kind of full-time, day and night, studying in the library, kind of head down uh, for a couple of years. The pressure uh, is often enormous. And so we uh, hardly had friends uh, outside of law school. We didn't really have uh, free time. I managed to see my family maybe twice a year. Uh, and maybe talk on the phone once or twice outside of that, and that was it. Uh, Law school, for me, took everything. And I loved it, and I was good at it, um, but by the time I got two years in, operating in this rhythm, I was slammed almost out of the blue with anxiety and depression. And um, it was dark, and it was heavy, and, and almost horrific at, at times, and I was racked with anxiety. Day and night, I could hardly sleep, uh, and eventually, it took such a toll on me that I actually became suicidal in my thinking. Like, th- this was a very, very dark time for me. And uh, by the time I was six months into that, I was hanging by a thread. And, and right then, in sort of my, my deepest, darkest time, a friend handed me a book on anxiety and depression. And I started reading through it, and I got to chapter four, and it said, hey, anxiety and depression are really complicated, they're really multifaceted, but here are some things that feed into it. And started boom, 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 listing off all of these factors. And one of the questions it said, it said, are you resting? If you work 80 hours a week, and you don't rest, you're going to feel depressed. And, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh. What have I been doing? Oh, rest. Huh. 
Well, that's interesting. And, and I still probably wouldn't have done it, except that my life was hanging in the balance. And I thought, you know what? I, I have to try this. And, and so from that point forward, I, I began carving out a 24-hour period every week in which I did no work, no, no studying, nothing related to law school. And the pressure didn't change. The pressure was still enormous, but my thinking began to change. And I began to say, if I can't do it in, in six days, then I'm not going to do it. And, and I did my best. For me, it was life or death, but I did my best to hold those boundaries. And, and I began to regain a life outside of law school and work. And I began, my friendships began to blossom again. And I began to find uh, th- this rest in God, being able to delight in him and what he had entrusted to me. And, and, and almost immediately, some of the weight, not all of it, but some of the weight began to lift. And from, from that point forward, it was a long, slow, painful crawl out of anxiety and depression. Uh, but I began to Sabbath, and it was so humanizing. We have all these forces in the world that we actually call dehumanizing. Have you heard that language before? And I think we're kind of familiar with those. But I think that the Sabbath is one of the few true practices that actually works in the other direction. Few things are more humanizing than stopping as an act of worship, as an act of trust, for a full 24 hours to delight in God and what he's given us. And and to be clear, if you don't rest, that doesn't make you less human, right? Like you're still just as human, but but your experience shifts. You you begin over time to feel more like a machine, a, a little more hollow, a little more empty, That is not life as God intended. So what does this look like day in and day out? Well, the bounds of rest and worship are incredibly wide. God gave us a ton of creative freedom in engaging in this act. So what is rest and worship for you is not going to be rest and worship for me. Uh, For some of you, rest and worship is sleeping in at least once during the week, sleeping in and um, waking up slowly and starting a fire in the fireplace and curling up just you alone in a quiet house, you know, curling up in your favorite chair and reading your favorite book or maybe your Bible open, coffee in hand, just you and God. For others of you, rest and worship means waking up at 5 a.m. to go run a marathon or, or climb a mountain or go fly fishing on some tiny river that's five hours away that no one's ever heard of. For others of you, rest and worship uh, looks like five back-to-back coffee dates with all the people you've been missing throughout the week, followed by dinner with everyone you didn't have time to get coffee with. 
And we could go on and on and on, right? Each one of us is going to engage in this a little differently. But all of us are going to ask the same question. Is this rest and worship that brings me closer to God? And in order to answer that question accurately, you actually have to think deeply about how you as an individual draw closer to God. How do you celebrate God and his creation? And what does rest and worship mean to you? When we do, when we carve out this time and begin reclaiming the ancient art of Sabbath, we foster intimacy with God, we experience Him in fresh ways, our levels of anxiety and depression go way down, our sense of God and self and others gets recalibrated, it comes back into focus, we experience more contentment with what we have, and if you're really good at it, you get to experience this strange thing called joy. Studies have shown that overall happiness levels in America, uh, levels of contentment, satisfaction, and happiness have actually been declining in recent decades. Uh, they peaked in the 1950s and have been slowly dropping ever since, uh, which some people point out, ironically, is about the time that, culturally speaking, uh, we gave up the Sabbath day. Uh, and that's not to say that everyone back then was Sabbathing perfectly or to the fullest, um, but rewind a couple of decades and almost everyone had Sundays off and it didn't matter if you wanted to work because everything was shut down anyways. And so there was more of this natural, the families more naturally gravitated back toward one another, everything was shut down and the environment was right for you to simply rest. By the time you get to the 1960s and beyond, uh, much of that began to erode and began to move toward uh, the current work culture that we have in America. Culturally speaking, I'm going to argue uh, that we have forgotten how to Sabbath. Uh, culturally speaking, uh, Americans now work more than ever before and Americans, on average, work more hours in a week than anyone else on the planet. We work more, we have more, and we want more, and we consume more than we ever have before, and yet we're miserable. Happiness, contentment, satisfaction is plummeting, and mental illness is skyrocketing. At the same time, we're spending billions and billions of dollars on anti-anxiety and anti-depression medication, but we can't stop working, and we can't stop buying, and we can't stop wanting, and we can't stop consuming. And I'm not saying that the Sabbath day is the silver bullet, but at the same time, <laughs> Hmm. One nationwide study set out to find the happiest people in America. And according to this study, uh, it was a small group of Christians who practiced the Sabbath religiously. 
in every sense of the word. Every week as a community, they Sabbathed. And the study said that no one in the country was more happy or content than they were. And in case that wasn't enough, the studies were also showing that the people who were Sabbathing on a regular basis on average lived up to a decade longer than those who were not. Which roughly speaking means that every time they took a Sabbath day, they extended their life by another day. And if that's true, it means there is literally life in the Sabbath. When I Sabbath, uh, I disconnect myself from work, from the fray and the frenzy, and I focus my attention not on what needs to get done, but on enjoyment. Enjoying my wife, enjoying my friendships, enjoying my kids, enjoying where God has us, enjoying the house that we've been blessed enough uh, to enjoy, enjoying creation, enjoying good food, and underneath all of it, I'm learning to enjoy God. I'm slowing down, I'm breathing, my attention in every activity that I go through is turned toward him. He has my attention, he has my focus. I'm delighting in him, finding him in everything, practicing the presence of God and resting in him and trusting in him and reminding myself who he is and who I am as a result. I'm allowing him to fill me up again. I carve out moments to sit in silence and solitude, just a few moments, with my favorite book and and, and contemplate and and enjoy God and his grace and, and just remember. Statistically speaking, Uh, Most pastors burn out within seven years of their start date. And most of the ones who don't burn out uh, trudge onward into year eight and beyond, but they hate their jobs. Most of them would quit if they could, but they just don't know what else to do. One study showed that a shocking percentage of pastors uh, would walk away today and do something else if it would offer them the same amount of money. And pastors don't make a lot of money. Most of them are underpaid, overworked, burnt out, spiritually, emotionally, and physically exhausted wishing they could be somewhere else. And tomorrow marks five years for me. And if the rest of today goes well, I think I'll make it. (laughs) But at the same time, uh, if I'm going to make it to year seven, let alone year 10 or year 20 or year 30, I'm convinced it will be the result of two things. The first is that uh, I ask people to send all complaints, hate mail, and criticism to Matt Karsh (laughs) at gmail.com. And the second 
is that we Sabbath. Me, my wife, my kid, we take this time. We try to. We're not perfect, but we try to take this time every week. For me, the art of Sabbathing is no longer a fun convenience. It is not a bonus spiritual discipline. For me, it has become a necessity. It is a lifeline. It is a means for me to survive in the vocation that God has called me to. It is not a burden for me. It is a necessity. It is oxygen in my spiritual lungs. And out of that temple in time, out of that restful center, I then can can be and operate in everything else. I can step into all that God has called me to. Husband, father, son, employee, church planter, homeowner, all of it. And you can debate this whole thing, right? And say, well, wasn't the Sabbath uh, that you just, you know, wasn't that part of the, the Old Testament law and we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace and, and we can have that whole debate. But in the end, I don't care. <laughs> I don't. It, it doesn't matter to me because this is where life is found. Reclaiming work and reclaiming rest. At the same time. In fact, the reason that we taught back to back is because I believe the two are connected. And I've found personally that when I Sabbath well, I can get more done in six days than I can in seven. And I'm going to say that again because some of you are thinking about lunch and and others of you just don't believe me. You will get more done in six days than you will in seven. I find that I'm actually more focused, more productive, and more joyful with the rhythm of Sabbath than I ever could be in its absence. And if I fail to rest, or if any of us fail to rest, at, at some point, you cross, cross over this threshold and you enter into this place in which the more you work, the less productive you become the less you will accomplish. And if you continue even beyond that and and continue down that path, you will wake up one day to find that the joy has been sucked out of the center of your existence. That all of your life has become vain and empty repetitions. That it all just feels empty. When I miss this, I don't feel guilt Because for me, this isn't born out of legalism. But to be perfectly honest, I just feel sad. Because I know that I'm missing out. I I know that there was this beautiful moment to stop, to breathe, and to be with God. To rest, to play, to trust, to reset, to worship, to be present in the moment. And I steamrolled right over it in my rush for greater productivity. Or fear, or whatever my excuse is that week. When I miss this, I'm the one who pays the price. My wife 
pays the price. My kids pay the price. All of the people that I'm called to love and serve, including you, pay the price. Yeah, but I can serve and love more people if I don't Sabbath. Sure. You can physically put yourself in front of more people. But tell me this. What will you have to give when you get there? What are you running on? Fumes? Fear? Adrenaline? Obligation? Guilt? What are you running on? Because the simple reality that we're confronted with in Genesis is that there is a better way to live. As followers of Jesus, we need to reclaim work and vocation for the glorious and holy endeavors that they are. And we need to reclaim rest for the sacred, holy, and blessed endeavor that it is as well. And if we're being honest, most Americans, and perhaps most of us in this room, would rather not do this. It's okay to be honest in that. We would rather not take a day out of our week to try and figure out what rest and worship looks like. Most Americans, myself included, have the impulse to instead patch together some alternative And and if we're honest, it's a rather cheap alternative to the Sabbath. Something that will keep our heads above water. Something that that will keep us moving. that, that, That keeps us in a place of surviving, but not thriving. And so most of us will patch together some form of rest and we will limp on rather than sacrificing an entire day of our week. But then again, most Americans will spend the rest of their lives wondering why their work is unsatisfying and their friendships are shallow and their vacations are exhausting and their anxiety simply won't go away. Why? Because you were made to Sabbath. To have a full day when you disconnect yourself from obligations and work and the tyranny of the urgent. We were intended uh, to see our burdens as something separate and removed from who we are. Uh, We were meant to have a day in which you slow down enough to remember that you are not God. And and that the world is not as desperately dependent on you as you think that it is. Like it or not, the world will be just fine without you pushing and pulling and striving and watching and worrying over it. And so ultimately, the Sabbath becomes an act of trust. Mark Buchanan says it this way. He says, If God works all things together 
for the good of those who love him, you can relax. If he doesn't, start worrying. If God can take any mess, any mishap, any wastage, any wreckage, any anything, and choreograph beauty and meaning from it, then you can take the day off. If he can't, get busy. Either God's always at work, watching the city, building the house, or you need to try harder. Either God is king over creation, or it all depends on you. The Sabbath is an act of trust. And finally, as we close, the Sabbath is an act of resistance against the world and its enslaving patterns of work and productivity, against the constant noise and consumerism and frenzy. It's an act of resistance against your own impulse to join the frenzy and drive yourself harder and get more done and beat out the person next to you. Because if we're honest, sometimes the slave drivers of the world are out there. And sometimes the greatest slave driver is the one in your own head. Which is why God says, deny yourselves and Sabbath. Fascinating. You'd think we'd all be very eager to rest. And yet, the reality is that we aren't. The reality is that you have to deny yourself and your impulse to work. Because for most of us, transitioning into the act of Sabbath is like trying to stop a freight train. Because an object in motion tends to stay in motion. An image bearer at work tends to stay at work. A human being trained in the art of worrying tends to keep on worrying. And so we need to regain the lost art of coming to a stop, of letting go, of breathing, of carving out a temple in time where we can relax without guilt, where we can meet with God and learn to rest in him, where we can trust God and who he is, finding him in the midst of our circumstances, allowing him to restore us as we delight in God and all that he's given us. The Sabbath is a gift that we have every reason to reject. And I get it. I, I really do. I've been through undergrad I've been through law school. I've worked multiple jobs at the same time. Uh, I've been in the military. I've, within weeks, uh, we will have three children who are age three and under. This is not convenient. And, and the Sabbath 
it is not going to happen by accident. There is nothing in the culture of your school, most likely in the culture of your family, most definitely in the culture of your workplace, that is going to foster or encourage this. It has to be embraced, has to be chosen, it has to be fought for. And you can run the other way. I've had seasons where I've done that. And you can brush all of this off as outdated religious ritual. And you can list all of the reasons that you have not to practice this. And you have your reasons. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the fact that you are a human being. You are not a slave. You are not a machine. You are an image bearer of God. And you were made to rest. Let's pray.